Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting, the, oh God, more stuff about space. Please don't be terrifying edition. Today is episode 162. Seismic activity on the moon isn't what it appears, and our galaxy's shape is warping? Fun. Yes, my friends, we are once again peering back the curtain of space, but this time around, we won't be covering any hellish planets, the death of stars, or pretending to have a grasp on black holes. <laughs> because we've got a long way to go there. And honestly, for that ride, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know there's just not enough barf bags. It's just completely wild. Today, we're covering a story about our planet's best friend, the moon. And yes, it's true, the moon is ever so slowly trying to get away from us, moving about an inch and a half or 3.78 centimeters away per year, but honestly, who can blame her? In any case, the relationship between the moon and Earth is vital to humanity's survival, so researchers really want to know what's going on up there. Over the course of 11 Apollo missions to our buddy, various instruments and doodads were left on the surface. And now, as technology has ventured into machine learning, computing faster than all living human minds combined, we can revisit data these missions collected with brand new eyes. In the first half of the show, we're going to focus on what the last American mission to the moon recorded, specifically the data from a few seismometers, a handy instrument that detects tremors caused by quakes, meteors, anything that could make the ground shake. Turns out... Some of the tremors they picked up, let's just say, they weren't natural. <laughs> then after the break, something completely natural, yet we're only beginning to comprehend it. My friends, if I asked you to imagine our glorious Milky Way, I bet you're picturing a linear spiral galaxy, right? And flat like a pancake? Well, holy shit, my friends, we need to change this perception. Results from a new study. <laughs> Results from a new study that takes into account the placement of stars across the vastness that is our home suggests it's not a peaceful flat spiral. This spiral is warped, and this warped shape isn't static. It moves. It undulates every couple of a hundred million years. So, what does our home galaxy actually look like, and why? The Milky Way is undulating, <laughs> shall be revealed. I mean, at least we'll try to explain it. There is a theory. In the meantime, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my precise business goose. To begin, we're going to fire up our grooviest time machine and dial it way the fuck back to December 7th, 1972. You might want to bring some coffee as well as it's 12.33 in the morning and we're squinting at the Launch Complex 39A, one of three launch pads located at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Merritt Island, Florida. The ship that's about to take off is the Saturn V and on board is Commander Gene Cernan and Lunar Module Pilot Harrison Schmidt. Both of these guys are scheduled to walk on the moon, making them only two of 12 human beings to ever set foot on our celestial neighbor as of this recording. Oh, and that reminds me, also on board is Commander Module Pilot uh, Ronald Evans, who is the designated driver for this moon party. Uh, he was to remain in the Saturn V as Cernan and Schmidt made history. <laughs> Evans, Evans, look, if you're listening, 
and I know you're not, but I'm not sure if anyone has thanked you. So thank you for your sacrifice. You are so, so close, Evans. Like you are right the fuck there, but also not. So thank you, Evans. You may not, you may not have walked on the moon, but you landed on the wiki page for Apollo 17, which was the name of the mission. And it was kind of a big deal. This was the 11th and final mission of the Apollo program. And as such, NASA wanted to go all out. Balls to the wall, make and break some goddamn records. So naturally, they focused on rocks. That's right. This mission focused heavily on the moon's surface. Schmidt was the only gravity... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why his, his name gave me the giggles. Okay, Schmidt was the only professional geologist to land on the moon so far, and he fucking went to town. He completed three moonwalks, took lunar samples, and deployed scientific instruments, three of which were seismometers, so put a pin in that. Schmidt also discovered orange soil at the delightfully named Shorty Crater. Turns out this shit proved to be volcanic in origin. Yes, you heard me, volcanic. This sample helped prove that the moon had once been volcanically active. Holy shit, when I read that, my friends, I couldn't help but look into it. So, you're welcome. Here are some moon fun facts you can whip out when no one asked. Yes. It's believed the first volcanic eruptions occurred around 4.2 billion years ago. And the moon was popping off at its most intense period between 3 and 3.8 billion years ago, which created the lunar lava plains that could be seen right the fuck now. You can go and look. They're there. The last time it went boom was probably 50 million years ago. And today, as you know, the moon has no active volcanoes. She's totally over it. Thanks to Schmidt, we have evidence of all of this. And Evans, let's not forget, never forget remained in lunar orbit, taking photographs from the ship. Thank you, heavens. <laughs> Here's a brief laundry list of additional history made by the Apollo 17 mission. Okay, get ready for this. It was the longest crewed lunar landing mission, clocking in at 12 days and 14 hours. That is a long time on the moon, y'all. Greatest distance from a spacecraft during extravehicular activity of any type was made at 4.7 miles, so they fucking threw a road trip into all of this, and it broke another record. Longest duration of lunar surface extravehicular activities clocking in at 22 hours and four minutes of driving. That's fucking crazy. The largest lunar sample was made and returned, weighing in at 254 pounds. And the longest time in lunar orbit was also made six days and four hours. And finally, for the love of God, because <laughs> I'm out of breath, greatest number of lunar orbits, 75, still hasn't been broken to this day. So please, round of applause for our heroes and Evans. Thank you. Now, after all was said and done, and all the history to be made was made, on December 14th, at 5.54 p.m. Eastern, Cernan and Schmidt successfully landed Oh, sorry, successfully lifted off from the lunar surface in the ascent stage of the lunar module, or LM for short. Two hours later, the LM successfully docked with the main vessel, or the command service module, the CSM, piloted by Evans. Quote, 
Once, do once the docking had taken place, the crew transferred the equipment and lunar samples from the LM to the CSM for return to Earth. The crew sealed the hatches between the CSM and the LM ascent stage following completion of the transfer. And the LM was jettisoned at 11.51 p.m. Eastern on December 14th. The un, un the un, un <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. If they, can, if they can go to the moon, I can read a word. Okay. The unoccupied ascent stage was then remotely deorbited, crashing to the moon with an impact recorded by the seismometers left by Apollo 17. End quote. That was all from the wiki. My friends, here we are, alone on the moon, save for a few pieces of equipment. The mission is over and all is eerily quiet once more. At least we thought it was quiet. My terrestrial business goose, thanks to a number of seismometers left on the surface from these Apollo missions, we now know the moon is a rockin'. Let's get into it. Quote, without an atmosphere to insulate it, the moon experiences drastic temperature variation from up to 250 degrees Fahrenheit during the peak of the day to negative 208 degrees Fahrenheit at night. These extreme swings causes the moon's surface to expand when it's hot and contract when it's cold. And this movement leads to small shaking and cracking near the surface called thermal moonquakes. End quote. From Lori Dejos of Caltech.edu. I know, my friends, moonquakes. I know, it's a thing, and it's a really cute word. Say it with me. Moonquakes. Ugh. So... My friends, in addition to drastic temperature changes, moonquakes also occur thanks to the Earth. Earth's gravity causes tidal stresses cracking the surface and causing these pieces to rub together in a geological orgy. Um, sorry. Meteorites colliding with our moon also send tremors through it. So, all of these events are natural, all have a distinct signature, and some even occur when expected at certain times of the day. Now, cut two. Overachiever and recent Caltech postdoc Francisco Civellini, who decided to dust off data collected by the seismometers left by Apollo 17, specifically focusing on a period of eight months from October 1976 to May of 1977. He and a group of friends were like, look, when was the last time anybody Took a, took a look at this stuff, and has anyone analyzed these waves using today's technology? Maybe we can find something that no human eyes were able to catch and seen. My friends, these were very good questions and an even better idea, for you see, this shit had barely been touched since the 70s. Inspired, Francisco and the gang did some clickety-clack calculations with some modern-day algorithms, and lo and behold, drumroll please, they confirmed what we already knew. Yeah, okay, quote. <laughs> the research shows that thermal moonquakes occur with precise regularity every afternoon as the sun leaves its peak position in the sky and the surface of the moon begins to cool off. End quote from caltech.edu. Uh, what? Don't, hold on, I, I see you. Don't you fucking hit that stop button. There was something else hidden in the numbers. My friends. Please head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Swipe through until you see a graphic with waves on it. These are seismic waves. I'll give you a second. 
My friends, I don't know about you, but the frequency of those waves, it looks like a heartbeat. I mean, maybe even the beat to a song. I, I mean, what I mean is that it looks precise. Now, if this feels a little strange to you too, especially considering this is coming from the surface of the moon, we're not alone. Ellen, sorry, Alan, sorry, sorry, Alan. Alan Husker, research professor of geophysics and the co-author on the new study we're covering right the fuck now, told caltech.edu, told, well, he timed these waves and found that they occurred, quote, every five to six minutes, one after the other, over a period of five to seven Earth hours. They were incredibly regular and repeating, end quote. Needless to say, they had to dive further into this, and it turns out they didn't have to go very far, literally. The seismometers were just a few hundred meters away from the Apollo 17 lunar module, the LM. Remember that, the piece that crashed back down to the moon after Schmidt and the gang bounced? Man, using fucking trigonometry. Perhaps the first and only time used in, the, in a real-world event, they were able to triangulate the source of the shaking. The calls were coming from inside the house. The Apollo 17 lunar module was moving. Did you shit your pants? Me too. But there's a totally reasonable explanation. These waves begin, like clockwork, every morning when sunlight hits the lander, basically baking it causing the metal to expand. It's all a coincidence. That is actually one hell of an important discovery. Why, you may be asking? Okay, great question. One, NASA intends to send astronauts to the moon within the next few years with what's been called the Artemis missions, and they want to up the ante by establishing a lunar base. Two, this means we should probably know how structures respond to the environment. At the very least, my friends, could you imagine being alone on the moon and you hear creaking and your instrument shows something is disturbing the moon's surface? I mean, on Earth, that's terrifying, let alone in space. So it's nice to expect this to, ha you know, to happen. That's like, like I'm, I'm freaking out. And finally, three. After knowing how structures respond to the environment, you'll want to pick material that can hold up to this kind of stress, including its temperatures and the wear and tear day after day of expanding and contracting. Thanks to Francisco and the gang, we can predict what goes bump in the nights, but I still don't want to go. No, I'm no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. <clears throat> after the break, when was the last time? You pop the dance move called the arm wave. <laughs> I don't want to transition, but I'm serious. You won't believe this, but that dance move is important when it comes to explaining and visualizing how our galaxy is moving through space. Get ready. We're totally doing this. Up next. Stay tuned. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, I'm going to ask you first to imagine our Milky Way. Do you see it from above? There she is, a spiral with two arms. Now, take a peek from the side. I bet you're imagining a flat disk, maybe a little bulgy at the center. Well, my friends, we're going to change your perception of our galaxy shape right the fuck now. And thanks to the way we're going to change it, you're never going to forget. This, my fox-trotting business goose, is the actual shape of the Milky Way. Here we go. Now, I don't care where you are or who you're with. Maybe ask them to join in, especially if they're strangers. What you're going to do first is stretch your arms out to the side. Come on, go ahead. Perfect, perfect. Now, bend your left elbow so that your left hand is pointing up. Very nice. You fucking nailed it. Now, keep that where it is. Don't move. Now, please bend your right elbow so that your right hand is pointing down. Fabulous. That, my friends, is the shape of our galaxy. And yeah, that's exactly... I know it's with the ends flaring in opposite directions. But, big but, it doesn't end there. Over the next 440 million years, I'm going to ask you to slowly flip the direction of your arms. And yeah, and the way you're going to move them is ridiculously similar to a dance move called the arm wave. I am not fucking kidding. This is what the Milky Way does. And I bet you have a few questions like, are you sure? Because I feel stupid. And how do we know this? <laughs> well, great, great questions. To begin, we're going to join astronomer Xinlun Chang of the University of Virginia and his team who had access to some powerful as fuck instruments. The Sloan Digital, sorry, I can't even say it. <laughs> it's, it's a list, okay, bear with me here. Three things. One, the Sloan Digital Sky Surveys, the SDSS, the Apache Point Observatory Galactic Evolution Experiment, or APOGI for short, and finally, the European Space Agency's Gaia satellite. Now, what the fuck does each of these provide? Well, let's just say, if you want to know the external shape of something all while being stuck inside it, you're going to need a lot of help and a lot of reference points that are far, far, far from home. Those reference points, my dazzling business goose, are stars. About two billion of them scattered throughout our Milky Way. Very, very long story short, the SDSS completed the small task of mapping the location of each of those stars, quote, by using the Doppler effect, which involves finding out the, frequen the frequency at which waves of light take off from the star. The difference between that and the frequency at which light reaches the observer will tell you about stellar movements that are going on. That's all. End quote. <laughs> from Elizabeth Rain of SYFY. Dot com. Next up, Apogee, which, 
Over the past decade has observed and tracked hundreds of thousands of these stars. And then finally, quote, Astronomers added observations from the European Space Agency's Gaia satellite, which, measure, which measures cosmic distances to the stars all over the galaxy. Altogether, the observations provided a three-dimensional map of Milky Way stars along with their velocities and chemistries, end quote, from Elizabeth Howell of space.com. Now, my friends, when you step back and take a look at that 3D model, boy howdy, it looks a lot like your arms stretched out, one curving up and the other one curving down. And then when you take into account each star's location, movement, and age throughout time, this 3D model becomes an animation. And guess what? You can watch it for yourself. Fire up the old tube of you and search the wave in the Milky Way as uploaded by the official channel for the SDSS, Sloan Digital Sky Surveys. Now, it's only 14 seconds here, but that arm wave takes about 440 million years to complete. So, what the fuck started this dance move, and what could possibly make a galaxy ripple? Drum roll, please. Thank you in the back. We're not too sure. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we, we don't know for sure, but we have a really good idea. You're going to need something as large, or if not larger, than your own galaxy to cause it. Quote, the new results suggest our galaxy's twist came from a recent interaction with another galaxy. Recent, that is, compared to the 13.7 billion-year-old age of the universe. Roughly 3 billion years ago, the scientists suggest, a satellite galaxy came close enough to our own to create a ripple effect still visible in the Milky Way stars today. End quote. From space.com. That's right. My friends, a near-miss collision, and one so close that the gravitational pull of that galaxy set off a wave effect that is still going on three billion years later. I, I, I can't. I can't. This actually was kind of scary. Uh, but don't worry. Don't worry. We will for sure be hitting another galaxy. Uh, we are on a collision course with the Andromeda galaxy, and we should make impact in about uh, five billion years. Yeah. So get that dancing in while you still can, please. And thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about how uh, the shit on the moon just, it's just, it's, it's kind of a mess up there a little bit. But we're going back, and hopefully everything will be okay. Uh, and our galaxy is just fucking dancing. Uh, and don't give them any, like, details. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. And a life-threatening thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you'll love the other podcasts in this family. And please, stay interesting.